there was a point I didn't, uh, my dad was very stubborn as well, <laughs> and I didn't have a super good relationship with him, but I started to work with horses, and when I started to control, just like you said, how I was viewing the situation, um, and seeing it from their eyes, because when you realize that there's different personalities out there, and that affects the way those either people or animals see the world, you can kind of step back and start to realize that you can change yourself in order to influence them. And so my relationship, when I started with, with horses, my relationship with my dad dramatically changed. Mm. And I remember my mom pointing that out and she's like, wow, there's something really different about the way you talk to dad. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm experimenting. <laughs> like I'm trying, to, I'm honestly being manipulative, but not trying to like hurt him by it. I was just experimenting with different ways of reacting. So your experience with the horses mm -hmm has influenced how you interact with people. 100%. Interesting. Yeah, actually a thousand percent. Like, that's probably the only reason I'm a decent person today. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello to all of you amazing featherless bipods that happen to have these incredible things called ears that are listening to this podcast. This is the Mark Explains the Universe podcast, and I am your host, Mark. This podcast covers a multitude of topics from politics and societal issues to faith and science. And I've been told numerous times throughout my life that I have a gift of being able to take a complex thing and explain it semi-decently. And this is something that I've really grown to love and is also what has led me to starting this podcast. And I honestly care very little about the amount of listeners or followers that we get here. I just feel like this is something that needs to exist in our universe. To create is what separates us from all of the other species on this planet that we know of. And so I've been on this journey of finding and meeting some of the most interesting people on this planet, and I get to have conversations with them. Most of the time on this podcast, however, they end up explaining and teaching me so much about life and the things that they are passionate about. Today's episode is the perfect perfect example of that exact thing. I'm so excited to introduce you all to a great friend of mine, Jennifer, who is just one of the most fascinating and impressive humans I have the pleasure of knowing. The first half of this conversation, she tells me some of her story, but then the conversation leads to such a cool place where she talks about some of the most coolest experiences that she's had as an equestrian. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Mark Explains podcast. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Jen Marie. Jenniferocious. Jenniferocious. <laughs> what, what was the name your friends call you? Uh, worse than that. <laughs> well, what is it? You can say it. <laughs> uh, Jennifuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you going to call out your friends that? Which is uh, ironic because I was like the most conservative one of the group. So <laughs> that was me. Which which one of your friends call you that? Are you going to call them out on the, on the podcast? Uh, most of the guys took to that really quick. Yeah? Yeah. No, the girls just as joking, but... We all had names for each other, so it was pretty fun. We could get back with each other. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming on. This is something we've talked about for a little while. Yeah. I've known you for about uh, a couple months now. Mm-hmm. Close um, to that. Yeah. Uh, met you, I think it was the beginning of August, mm -hmm. and I learned right away that you are into horses. But that is not how you say it. You call yourself in in uh, equine an equestrian. Equestrian. Yes, yes. It's a broad term to cover a lot of genres, without getting too complicated. So you want to hear something funny? Um, when I was in uh, college, 
for some reason I kept saying Esquitarian. <laughs> That's awesome. And it stuck with me so much to the point where I still can't shake that term. <laughs> Even when I hear equestrian, I'm like, oh, of course it's equestrian. Then I'm like, I'll see something I'm like, oh, look at that. That's like in the, the Esquitarian <laughs> side of things. And everyone looks at me really funny. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Thank you, Violet. This is Violet. She has her squeaky toy. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to throw it because that's just going to make more noise. <laughs> Violet, my dog child. I can take uh, that away from her. <laughs> Beautiful uh, black poodle. Right? Standard poodle, yeah. Standard poodle, yeah. yes. Uh, so you do a lot in life. Yes. You are, how old are you? I'm 33. And you aren't just your standard 33-year-old, <laughs> typical, uh, average American female. You uh, run a business? A couple, yes, a couple businesses. A couple businesses. Yeah, I guess, technically. What do you do? Tell me about your first one. Uh... The first one, let's see, the, long, the one I've had the longest would be uh, the art. So I have been doing art since I was a kid, but then went to school for art and started to freelance um, and got more interested in freelancing, I guess, and did that. I had the business for close to 11 years, 12 years now or longer. Um, and you, you started painting? In, yes, freelance painting. Okay. So artwork, um, selling artwork, you know, going, actually actively trying to be an artist for about that long. And um, it took off pretty well, but then it's something that you have to maintain and put a ton of work into, like any freelance work. And then I started um, grooming dogs, so doing uh, pet grooming. And how, that, how did you get into that? Like just randomly started pet grooming? No, my mom's a pet groomer. And okay. So my parents are super sensible. They're like, well, okay, if you're going to go for art, which was against their wishes to go to college for art anyway, but they said as long if you're going to do that, then do something to make money while you're doing that. And so my mom was a pet groomer, and it pays pretty well, and I like animals. So I went to school for that and then started doing that for about six years before I decided that I should just go um, into employment for myself. And I started a business doing pet grooming as well. And that's here in Grand Rapids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's... Um, so you launched your own pet grooming mm -hmm. business, your own store. And yep. what's it called? Tailspin Pet Grooming. Tailspin Pet yeah. Grooming. And you have more than one location now. Yep. Just opened a second location this year, and the but, business is about five years old. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you also are an Esquitarian. Esquitarian. <laughs> I like that. I might adopt that now. That's pretty good. January uh, Esquitarian. I know, right? <laughs> um, so uh, you're in the Esquitarian world. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and what is that like? How did you get in? Because... Really, I feel like the the more I know you, the more that your entire life is kind of supporting your ability to have and raise and train horses. That is true. Yes. So tell me about like like how how did you get in? Like how so way back? <laughs> <laughs> Go back at the way. Okay, the beginning of it. I started when I was about fourteen years old, and I uh, actually didn't. Really, we didn't really have a lot of exposure to horses other than we, I grew up next to a horse farm. So uh, I would go over there and look at the horses and sit on the fence. And I like to draw, so I'd go out there and draw out the, with my sketchbook. That was something I loved to do. Um, spent a lot of time outdoors, and um, we were homeschooled as well. So I didn't have a ton of socialization, I was, and, which was fine with me, and I really enjoyed it. But I would spend a lot of time outdoors. And eventually, uh, my mom, who had a horse growing up, just uh, as a pet, a trail horse. She wanted to get one, 
and kind of got me on board and I was like, yeah, let's totally do this. We had chickens and bunnies and these Mm -hmm. smaller animals. So uh, my dad put up a barn and a little bit of fencing and we ended up just getting a horse and knew nothing. So I was about... You knew nothing? Nothing. No lessons. I had... How how old was the horse? The horse was probably about, uh, I think it was about 13 or 14 years old. Oh, so it was... It was an older horse. Older horse, trained. Mm -hmm. It was familiar with people. Somewhat, yes. And the horse, I I knew nothing, which I don't recommend. I definitely recommend getting (laughs) lessons of some kind because I got bucked off that horse. Really? Yeah. And didn't really know what to do. Um... We all kinds of things we had to learn. Like I didn't know you had to get a saddle to fit the horse. Apparently, the saddle was hurting the horse. Oh jeez! That's why he was bucking me off. So there's lots. Oh jeez! Yeah. So for anyone out there who's interested in getting horses, go get lessons first, and then get the horse. Okay. So hold on, real quick. So I got like because I have a million questions sure. as they come. Like how how old is the youngest horse that you can try to ride? Like. Um, safe answer for that is about four years old. It does. Oh, so range. You, so you're not supposed to ride a horse before four? Uh, physically, it changes. It, it depends on the breed. So some breeds uh, do formulate. There's a lot of debate in the, the horse world on when the earliest you can ride a horse is because their bones don't stop forming until they're about four or five years old. However, mm. certain vets that I've talked to, they say you're fine. Depends on what kind of riding you do. Depends if you're a smooth rider or not so talented, you know? So if you're bouncing around on a horse's back, just like you put someone on your shoulders and they're not in sync with you, you're gonna get aches and pains, as opposed to if you have someone who's a very smooth rider and can move with the horse very easily, it's not gonna jar their joints. It's not gonna put you know too Got much it. pressure on them. So there's so many factors that go into when you can start your horse. That's really interesting. Yes. See, cause I, I thought it'd be like, oh, like pretty much one year old yeah. plop on that bad boy and take uh, off, right? It's not black and white. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so you got a thirteen-year-old horse mm-hmm. and didn't know a thing about it. Correct. That's see, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it was a little rough, but um, we ended up getting a second horse, and she was just a very chill. The other one was very spirited, um, liked to run all the time. The, uh, the second one we got was really chill and a really good first horse. I feel like that's a, it's a big like step to go from no horses to all of a sudden owning horses because yes. it's not like a dog or a cat. Right. Like this is a massive animal that requires a lot of maintenance mm-hmm. and a lot of interaction. Yeah. Like, how did you convince <laughs> your dad and your mom to get a horse? Uh, it was more convincing just my dad. My mom, would she wanted one. Uh, she trail rode, and we, they had a bit of land. They had bought some more land on their property, uh, and my mom wanted to try getting one and see if I would like it as well. Um, my dad was the one that was like, oh, they eat you know, tons of food, and they're dangerous, and all those things, which is all true. But... Um, the connection that I started to have with the second horse was beyond like it was it was absolutely addicting. Mm. So I rode this horse every single day without fail out in the woods. We got to know each other so well where I would just think something and she would do it. Really. So you're you're you know you're out with this huge animal that you can sit on and you're out in the woods and you just think about oh let's go down this trail and the horse is, oh okay like you're in a partnership oh. and there's this connection and um, another trainer that I follow uh, Warwick Schiller he talks about ten year old girl horsemanship and how some people take horses so seriously but they they really need to just connect and to the point where you just start to think things and your horse does it 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 does hmm. happen if you can you know approach them like a child it's it's an amazing thing that's the most that's the most wild interaction i could possibly imagine i mean because i 
I, I mean, everyone in America more or less knows somebody with a horse or knows someone that raises horses. You know, I always make fun of, I think like the horse girls are just rich cat girls, you know, like that's, that's all they are. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, it's, yeah. it's super high. I mean, like they, they require so much maintenance. They require so much time. Um, but, but there's definitely like once the people get into that world, like they're hooked. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've been afraid to get into it because mm. I know that if I get into that world, I'm also going to be yeah. hooked because there's like, it was just like Jeeps. Like I, I, everyone, you know, like, oh, it's a Jeep thing. And I'm like, Jeeps are stupid. Then I got a Jeep and I l forever love Jeeps. <laughs> like it's because I understand it now. Uh -huh. And, and I can't imagine what that connection feels feels like it's like in being in a jeep with a brain <laughs> <laughs> and it talks back oh i love jeeps <laughs> yeah yeah they're pretty cool yep it's it's a it's a, a deep hole to go into and uh, the horse world is very tight-knit um it's, it's a huge it's a good community as well so there's a lot of supportive people um, but then there's also, you know, there, it can go in, into all areas like sports. It can get very political. It can get um, very egotistical. You can get people who uh, clearly are abusing their animals to win, things like that. You know, all that gets talked about. And But then you also have um, trainers who change. And I know a lot of trainers who have gone from very traditional aggressive methods to this more connective method that I'm really into right now. And is there a name for the method that you have? Uh, the broad term is natural horsemanship, but I kind of say that carefully because the the term is overused. At this point, um, there was a, a horsemanship, traditional horsemanship was very, make the horse submit. That's why we call it breaking a horse because you literally break their spirit so that you can ride them. And um, there was a whole new wave of uh, horsemanship, uh, several different trainers, um, uh, Buck Brennigan and uh, a couple others were, were pretty pivotal in changing the thought of how to work with horses. And then um, a guy named Pat Pirelli took it to more of a, um, he really made it into a business where he created a program and made it simple enough for your average person to understand exactly what's going on with these horse whisperers, right? You probably heard that term, sure. a horse whisperer. So they're doing things so subtly and they're reading the horse so well, it looks like they're doing nothing, but then the horse just without anything on them just seems to do what the trainer wants them to do hmm. so um that mystery has kind of been exposed now uh a lot more people understand what it is what it is like to connect with a horse and have that you know 1200 pound animal willingly come to you want to be with you want to connect with you it's that it's the 10 year old girl stuff hmm. you know and it's it's so addictive people are is taking the horse world by storm hmm. everybody wants to do this this softer, you know, what they call foo-foo horsemanship stuff. And I think it's wonderful. I think there's definitely a place for it. I think you can get extreme in that area as well. But it's a good thing that's happening. I feel like it's the it's the equivalent. I think I think you were the one who mentioned this a while back. It's like the equivalent of, in that movie, The a uh, Avatar, mm -hmm. where those weird yeah. blue people that have the hair yeah. that connect with the animal and the animal literally just does what they're thinking yes. because their brains are connected yes and there is a feeling and i've talked to more horse people and that i agree with their methods and they describe this and that's the that's the pinnacle of the addiction is you're riding your horse and you find a level in your communication where you're so in tune it's like you're one with that animal and and you're just thinking things and, you're, and they're doing it and there's and when they in the movie when they connect 
and it's just like that oh that feeling you know and they can just think things with that animal and that is that is literally kind of what i feel when i reach that moment Hmm. and it's what we all work for as equestrians oh that's so cool Mm -hmm. so at what point after getting your second horse and what was that horse's name chance chance yeah so at what point after chance did you decide that you wanted to train start training horses (laughs) uh i decided when i got her pretty much (laughs) so i finally had a connection but then I was experimenting again, having no training. I just was watching videos. Uh, I really got into, I like trick training because the horse was very food motivated. So I discovered that if I had some treats and she learned that she could work to get those treats, I could really get her going. So yes, there's a little bit of bribery, but we also, you know, liked each other's company. So she would come up and want to try to do things and I would try to learn to teach her. And I think that was the beginning of all of it where she, you know, the trick training, um, just trying out different methods and realizing that there's so many opinions. Then, how old were you at that point? Uh, let's see. I was like 15 or 16. I had a chance, like two or three years. And so you more or less have been buying and selling horses. Yes. Since that point. Yeah. So right after that, I had this horse and I started to feel like I knew something, which happens to all people. You know, all of a sudden, you know everything because you can train one horse. That happens a lot. So I decided to buy a Craig's. I went on Craigslist and bought a horse for like 500 bucks, which is super cheap. And this horse had all kinds of issues. His name is Cody. And he uh, he bugged, he reared, he was just naughty. He was, he was a smaller horse, but uh, which was probably good or I would have been dead. But I had a, I really fought with this horse. Like I was going to tame him. Like there was not, he was not willing like the other, my, like Chance was willing to work and, or not work even, but just like be with me and try stuff. And she was a lot of fun. The second horse, he was like, screw you. <laughs> Bye. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of personality plays a lot, into this. A lot. And I was an extremely stubborn person. And we can at this point get into what horses have taught me because. Well, what Enneagram number are you? Eight. <laughs> Eight wings, seven, but mostly eight. <laughs> so you're stubborn a little. Very, very stubborn. And, you know, I um, I grew up in a family with pretty stubborn people, actually. We were all just, yeah, we got opinions and we do, do what we want to do. So, uh, yeah, so I got this horse and I was just going to, you know, tell him, tell him how it goes. You know, and, and we got, got a little improvement. You know, he wasn't bucking as much and all that stuff. And so I ended up selling him. Well, then I had a little bit of money. I sold him for a bit more, like. 800 you know so then I was like okay I'm gonna go buy another horse you know 800 doesn't get you a lot of horse but I got another one um I think that was Spree and she was an Arab mix so a hot horse I ended up getting kicked in the arm so hard like there were some major injuries and again I I have to say like go get a trainer (laughs) just just save yourself and go, go get, get a trainer go, go get you go get a, yes go find a good trainer and and have some mentorship in doing this don't do it the way i did because i could have gotten so seriously injured um but it, haven't you in the process of all this told me that i should get a horse i did with my help and instruction oh, of course yes. with your help and instruction yes. have some advice get yeah no, it, getting a horse can be the best thing, and it can be the best thing for you. But it can also be the most dangerous thing if you don't know what you're doing. So just there, it, it's it's like if you make a mistake with a dog, okay, whatever. You know, if a dog like kicks you, it's whatever. If a horse kicks you, you could possibly end up with a concussion and die. So you just have to be tactful and careful. They're just really big animals. Yeah. Like that baby horse I had um, last night reared up and ended up coming down a little bit on me like he just hit me with his foot as he's coming down but he was only four months old five months old is that a wingling 
That's a weanling, yeah. So he's just getting weaned off of his mom. He's just a puppy, right? So the farrier, I have farrier is a guy who trims their hooves. Their hooves keep going like their nails do. So you got to trim them back. And this Wait, was, hold on. Is That's a profession? Yes. Just the guy that does it? You don't do that? No. Could you do that? I could, maybe, if I, if I wanted to, but it takes us. You to go to school for it. You, learn you have to go to school yes. to clip the nails of a horse? Yep. <laughs> My God, the things that exist in this world that I thought were just a part of the thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean I've seen the videos. It's an art. Mm-hmm. I know it is. I had no idea that that was like a, an entire profession. Yep. That's crazy. And you can go to a fair school for shoes as well. So some people just do the trims, and then you can also go to uh, put the shoes on. So you nail the shoes right. through the out, outer wall, which doesn't hurt the horse at all. Right. But yeah, there's a lot going into shoes too because there's a thousand different ways to put shoes on. There's a thousand different reasons. There's a thousand different types of shoes you would put on for different types of showing. So a ton of stuff to know. Wow. So <laughs> I'm learning a whole lot right now about an industry and about, I mean, a world that I know nothing about. I mean, because this exists all, it exists all around us all the time. But there's so much more to it. So you now are a trainer. Is this something you do full time? Uh, no. Is this something you want to do full time? No. No. I don't. I did that. I played that game. So you went into full time training. I did. What was that like? Um, it. You know, honestly, the I had enough knowledge at that point where the horsemanship was going pretty smooth. Most of the things I was running into with horses, I had a toolbox of different methods that I could pull out and try and be like, okay, oh, yep, that one's definitely where the horse is. This personality, this method's going to work really well. So no, the the people who own horses were the most difficult part. Oh. Because... Well, do you remember that show, The Dog Whisperer? Yes. With Caesar Milan? Caesar Milan. He would always talk about... Um, training the people yep. and rehabilitating the dogs. That's 100% true. And it's hard because I'll, I can put, you can give me, uh, you know, the horse and I can have a, a conversation with that horse. Um, but it's so much simpler, honestly, to talk to a horse and to talk to a person because a person has, there's so many things, there's layers and layers and layers. And just like any, you know, psychologist goes into all these areas it's, it's almost like I have to tell the person they have to improve if they want their horse to improve. And a lot of times they either can't accept that or they don't believe it. Um, you know, so here I am coaching a person and I'm coaching a horse who usually it's just a communication problem. You know, the issue in the horse isn't necessarily an issue. It's just a communication between the person and the horse. So um, between balance issues, the person just doesn't have enough experience to make it comfortable for the horse to do the right thing. They just get in the way. So they might ask the horse to do something and then they themselves get in the way and prevent the horse from doing it. Well, then all of a sudden it's not the horse's fault, it's the person's fault. And so I would have to explain to that person, I need to take you away from your horse, put you on a horse that might be smoother for you to ride so that you can develop yourself and then put you on your horse and we can work it out that way or you could have me ride the horse but that's the problem is I can teach your horse something but then I'm going to put you on and you're going to get in the way and you're going to unteach it so so there's a lot of things that are going there's so much and uh people don't want to pay to get enough work enough instruction so they would pay for like one lesson and then I come back the next week and give the exact same lesson and over and over uh, so it just kind of got a little exhausting, or it got a lot exhausting. Uh, and then a lot of times the, peop- the horses that people bring to you have issues uh, that, that are very strong, 
Uh, so issues that have not been corrected in quite some time, and that makes that horse dangerous. So I've had horses that uh, have bucked me off, that have dragged me, that have you know been very dangerous rearing horses and things like that. And if you're over time, you become skilled enough where you can stay out of the way and you can kind of read that horse and create a good situation where the, the horse generally will make the right decisions. But it does put put you at a very high risk. So honestly, the money I was getting was not worth the risk that I was taking. And it was a huge amount of work to help rehabilitate the people as well as the horse. And it just got, I got burned Jeez. out. I was like, you know what? I don't even want to go work my own horses. I'm just so tired of this. So, so at what point did the horses start teaching you things? Right at the beginning. I just wasn't listening until later. So the horses were talking to me the whole time. I didn't start listening until I was about 22 or 23. What, what life lessons have you learned from horses? How long you got? <laughs> this could be long. I, got this, I think this has a limit of, it says 186 hours. So we can go 186 hours, which is like a week and a half. Hmm, okay. What are the, I mean, like when I talked to, when I talked to you about like things that you've learned from your horses, because like th this was a concept at first for me that I didn't really realize. I mean, because I think about, you know, and I, and I'm, you know, there's lots of people that always talk about, you know, I rescued this dog, but really the dog rescued me and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like I always hear about stories like that. I can't imagine the impact that a horse could have. Uh, especially that intrinsic connection that you talk about with uh, with chance, where it was so it was such a deep connection between you mm -hmm. and that animal, where you thought something and it just did that thing. That I can't imagine the the lessons that become to pull to the surface. I mean, because that's all we're doing in this life is, I mean, trying to learn certain things and unlearn other things, and mm -hmm. it's this giant confluence of learning and unlearning and at the same time you have this massive 1200 pound animal that is intrinsically connected to you kind of like almost in a sense saying hey there's things you need to learn or there's things you need to unlearn mm -hmm. without saying a thing mm -hmm. like and you said it maybe it was at 22 or 23 but like at what point did you realize like this was the reason that horses are in my life and these are the things that they are trying to teach me um i would have to say probably started with a horse named nova mm. and um, nova was a craigslist horse that was kind of she's kind of the getting near the end of the craigslist horses side note side note i had no idea you could buy horses on craigslist. <laughs> yeah facebook you can't there's a lot of uh, a lot of pushback but and craigslist you can so I I've been buying and selling horses uh, part because partly because I wanted to keep learning and uh, different horses different personalities different problems kept adding to my toolbox of things I knew how to work with and uh, partially because I didn't have a lot of money and um, in order to keep doing what I was doing I was uh, actually trading a lot of my services so um, I did no art I knew marketing and design and digital that sort of thing photography so I was trading all of that and I was also selling these horses for usually a little bit more than I bought them for so then I was able to keep doing what I was doing that was the reason why I was flipping all these horses so anyway I ended up with um, Nova and she was um, see I almost want to equate like human personalities with the horse personalities because then a lot of what I say makes more sense you can do that. You can anthropomorphize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good word. Sure. We use that word too. Yeah, uh, for sure. Do it. Uh, but 
It is true. So there's the trainer I was working with at the time had had them categorized as like a, a confident extrovert, an unconfident extrovert, and a confident introvert and an unconfident introvert. So this horse was a uh, confident introvert, which you imagine kind of like um, like a donkey. You know, like you picture that, you see those pictures of those cowboys trying to get the donkey to go and he's just sitting down. <laughs> yeah. it, the horse was like that a little bit. Um, she was slow to react, but quick-minded. So mm. very, very smart. She could read people really, really well. Mm. And um, if she didn't want it, she was a huge horse. If she didn't want to do something, she wouldn't do it. Mm. So this horse, um, I, I was still on this streak because I didn't really have a lot of knowledge of, I, I tell you to do something and you do it because I said so. So I kind of, Chance was so good. I got spoiled with her. She was just a good horse. Right. And then I started to get horses with more bigger problems. And I thought the solution to those problems was to get bigger myself. And to and to break them down and, and you know make them do it. That's very yeah. very uh, traditional. It's how most horse people start and how they usually end up getting out of that. If you know if they're smart because it's not the way to do it. Not with a twelve hundred pound animal. They will drag yeah. you. I'm barely over a hundred pounds. So <laughs> um, so this horse dragged me. Uh, she she would just I try to work her and she'd be like no I I don't want to work and I'd say well, you're gonna work and she's like well bye and here I would be flying you know through the snow hanging onto a thirty foot line as this horse gallops away Jeez. and this happened a lot so um, and uh, with my trainer's help as well I learned that I needed to be I needed to listen for one a lot more than I was speaking. Yeah. And that was a big one for me to swallow. I was like, you know, once I started to see that, and it, it I, I could, doesn't mean that I have to be weak and be walked all over. It means that I needed to be a leader. And that means being fair and being a communicator and not just you do what I say because I said so. Interesting. So um, that was just a huge breakthrough, really, in my mind, uh, you know, and... Yeah, there were some big lessons I had to learn. But with that particular horse, she wasn't going to tolerate if I got strong unfairly. So basically, if I got strong without explaining what I was getting strong about, she would leave. Mm -hmm. So I had to, if she started to say, I'm going to leave, I'll say, okay, hold on, slow down. Let me break it down for you into tiny pieces until you understand instead of getting strong at you because I'm because I, I think that you're just being stubborn. I need to just say, okay, she doesn't understand. I need to back off. Hmm. So that was pivotal because I saw her change to a horse that wanted to be with me all the time. Hmm. And um, yeah, that was huge. Yep. And then, yeah, that horse kind of came and went through my life. I sold her, bought her back, sold her to another friend. Um, they're completely in love with her. They're going to keep her till she dies. So yeah, it's, that horse was pretty cool. And then uh, and just continued over that. I learned so many things, but that was the first biggest lesson. Was there was there a lesson that caught you by surprise or one that you were not expecting? Um, something that a horse taught you, maybe through multiple lessons. Um, uh, you know, I think of things like um, like like there are certain times where like because I've I've owned many dogs, mm -hmm. you know, and, and dogs teach you lessons just just like horses, but in different ways. And I, I can remember there are times where um, you know, like, especially the dog, um, Luna that I had, like it, I, I was, I would try to be so, I would try to be so stern with her so often. And then there were times where I realized she responded more so, yeah. um, to a cough, uh, a soft 
calmer voice and mm-hmm. I realized that I just I need to meet her where she was at. Yes. And that and that response from me taught me how to approach problems differently. It taught me how to how to read people and how to approach people differently, not just if I'm angry, respond yeah. with anger, but to look at what's going on, to to mm-hmm. to look, look at the problem um, proactively and mm-hmm. to see if if there is a better response. So is there was there a a lesson or, or things that you learned in training these horses that you didn't expect to learn in the process? Yeah. Well, what you just described was definitely something that I had learned as well. So that's one of the lessons. <laughs> that was very interesting. And I had a horse named Luna. Oh, so that's kind of cool. Good um, name. I think, uh, trying to think a side note to that, what you just said just made me think. There was a point I didn't, uh, my dad was very stubborn as well, <laughs> and I didn't have a super good relationship with him, but I started to work with horses, and when I started to control, just like you said, how I was viewing the situation um, and seeing it from their eyes, because when you realize that there's different personalities out there, and that affects the way those either people or animals see the world, you can kind of step back and start to realize that you can change yourself in order to influence them and so my relationship when I started with with horses my relationship with my dad dramatically changed Mm. and I remember my mom pointing that out and she's like wow there's something really different about the way you talk to dad and I'm just like yeah I'm experimenting (laughs) like I'm trying I'm honestly being manipulative but not trying to like hurt him by it I was just experimenting with different ways of reacting so your experience with the horses Mm -hmm. has influenced how you interact with people. 100%. Interesting. Yeah, actually a 1,000%. Like, that's probably the only reason I'm a decent person today. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It just made me step back and and just try to see things from their eyes. And in that improved the way that I was able to influence, influence them. And I really have a desire to help people and animals. I just didn't have a very good communication style I was, I was pretty introverted as well and so the more I understood about animals the more I understood about how uh, people tick and how I could communicate better and um, and listen better and therefore help people better hmm. so there's that that's, um, a, that's a lot to learn it was a lot to learn yeah I sure. feel I feel like there's there's a lot more going on in the equestrian world than what people see mm-hmm. on Facebook or what they see in those shows. I mean, like I think about, uh, those, those girl, the riders that, um, that ride out and around the first barrel or around the second mm-hmm. barrel, and around barrel, the third racers. barrel and then they yeah. sprint back and the whole race lasts 30 seconds or yeah. less. And that's it. Yep. And you know, and they just race their horse, but, the connection, the communication between the human and the horse to be able to do that. Like, I I don't think about that. I just think, you know, I remember being a kid and being like, oh, well, that horse is faster than that horse. You know, like, and it was so black or white to me, like, who's faster, really? And now I'm realizing there's so much personality and communication Mm -hmm. and density within those those relationships and within those connections Mm -hmm. that it's not just about the speed of the horse. It's so much more. Yeah. I think as you're talking, I have an answer to, to your original question. Was there anything unexpected? Uh, the biggest thing is, is, your talk, is the body language and how much language there is outside of verbal. Really? That was huge. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah. Because when you're riding, 
there's, and you talk about that, how do you just think, that's where the horse whispers come in. How do you just think something and the horse knows? Why is there so many slight things, you know, that the horse can respond to? And it's, it's that body language is, is becoming very finessed and very in tune. And horses do it because they don't say words. Animals do it because they don't say words. Um, horses being a, a, a fight or flight animal, or they're being a prey animal, I suppose I could put it that way. They're a prey animal. And so they're used to being in a herd. Now, you watch like a flock of birds that fly all together, and they make just tiny little nuanced changes, and the entire flock changes according to that. Horses are kind of the same way. They're in a herd, and they're so in tune with each other. If there's a t- if another horse has attention, you'll see everyone also kind of look up and look at what they're looking at. So the slightest changes, horses are just, I mean, just bred to be so incredibly aware hmm. and you as the as a trainer rider partner to this animal you have to you have to become you have to grow to their level of awareness or you're never going to have that connection with them hmm. you're never going to really be able to influence them so the awareness is something that i've to, to work with problem horses like I do, which is something I really enjoy doing. Problem horses. Problem horses. People call them problem horses. They're, I mean, they have, they have what people would call issues. I mean, they're people issues. They're issues that have been created by would humans. Would that be like the horse Cody that you were talking about? It can be, yeah. Yep. There's horses that are, uh, he was an extrovert, so all of his issues came out uh, through about just... He, he puts it all out there. You know, any thought he had, yeah. he just put it right there. He wasn't afraid. But then you get horses who are extreme introverts, and they, they get shut down. So all those issues are building up, but they're not going to show you until you you do something and you get, like, kicked in the face. And you're like, where did that come from? Well, he, that horse was giving you signs. They were just so quiet and tiny. You didn't see them. So, you know, honestly, any issue that a horse has that a person would deem as an issue has you the horse usually has tried to tell you about it already but you didn't know how to listen you didn't know how to listen you didn't understand the language and that's just a lack of education so my mission in the world is i i want people to to feel what i felt when i was 10 years old with that horse that's what i've been pursuing this whole time and i want horses to feel good the more you work with these animals you they realize that they can come out of their shut down state of mind and they can be free and open and give their opinion and then i'm okay with that and i'm going to communicate with them and we can have a partnership so i'm going to feel like another horse in the herd if i have a change in my body they're going to want to change in their body to stay stay aligned with me and if they have a change in their body i might change in my body to see and be aligned with them and see what well what are you looking at what are you noticing i'm not going to say oh don't be scared so many people, the horses are scared and they get after them. Like, don't spook at that. Don't do this. You know, the horse is bred to worry about its life. You know, they've got lions and all that out there. They've got a lot of dangers in the world. So they are going to be worried about the world around them. And we can't, if we're going to to create negative reinforcement when the horse is afraid of something, we're acting as a predator. Mm. So like a, a whatever, a, a mountain lion, you know. Is going to jump on a horse and that horse is scared they're going to grab harder and hold tighter that everything we do as humans even our even our look every predator most predators in the world have eyes in the front of their head and most prey animals have eyes in the side of their head because they're looking for danger hmm. and when we go what do people do when they see a horse i mean just classic what do they do they want to pet the face yeah right yeah what is it what does a predator do when they go after a horse they go after the head the neck the throat yeah. Right. They try and uh, cut cut a jugular vein, or they'll go to their underside, you know, and try to rip out all those all the tender spots. And that's what we tend to do is we go right for the face. Dogs are different. They like that. They like to sniff each other and get right into each other's face right away. 
but horses are not like that. And that's like that kind of stuff is what I'm always trying to help people understand what the horse is feeling as they're working around it. So how would you instruct somebody that's new? Just side note, Mm -hmm. um, how would you instruct somebody that's new that's approaching a horse for the first time? Mm -hmm. Don't reach out and try to pet the face real fast, but what would you instruct them to do? How would you introduce yourself to the horse? Yeah, I would have them wait and and wait for the horse to be curious to say hi to you. Okay. Yep. And, uh, you know, you can stand about, you know, three feet away and uh, and I, I wouldn't face them either. That's one other thing. Our core is so important. Um, and I tell it's in simplicity for simplicity's sake, your core is your belly button and out. So have you ever walked? Well, so, on- so I did, I did pretty well when you, you introduced- did. yeah. Cause I was yeah. just minding my own business. Yep, That's exactly <laughs> it. Yep. Um, there's so much like straight predators tend to walk in straight lines. Prey animals tend to walk in wobbly lines. So people will walk directly to a horse, touch the face, like all that. No, it's, it's not going to hurt the horse. Most domesticated horses are fine with that because they've, they've had people on them their whole life and they've learned that humans do this. They're fine. But if you want to connect with a horse on a deeper level, you'd stand your core facing away, you know, and you can look at the horse, but look around and wait for that curiosity to come. And when that curiosity comes, then you can meet it halfway. They reach out to you, reach out your hand. You know, they look away. Okay, take your hand back. You're not going to go up to a stranger in the store and just, you know, hug them and like you've never met them before. You're going to have a conversation. Well, maybe I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's you. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah, you meet the horse where it's at. Right. Interesting. So, a lot of what you were saying there, um, when you were talking about body language and when you were talking about all those things, honestly, I feel like that you were just describing how to interact with people. That is, yeah, and for me the. The people part comes after the horse. I've learned a lot of things through horses and then transferred it to people. But I'm a little bit more introverted too. And so a lot of people I talk to, they're really good with people. And I can translate what they've learned with people when I'm teaching them about horses. So it's kind of interesting how that works out. So what's the hardest lesson you've learned? You have a little sheet of paper over there. Do you you want to look at that? This is this is a so lot. The, so this is a classic eight to to take down a bunch of notes to make sure you stay on topic. And you don't want to miss so anything. Mind you, these notes have been written two over two pages. This has been written over the past like four years. I started writing these life lessons learned from the back of a horse. Well, let's go through. Okay. Let's let's pick. Why don't you pick like um, three of your favorite ones? Right, the well, ones that come up. These are all really good, but I'm looking at a good one. The best horses will only give you what you deserve. So they're not going to forgive you. You're going to have to earn. And I I will say that's probably a, a good one to... Who's What's the horse? Who's the horse that taught you that? Um, Eclipse is a good one. Uh, she doesn't forgive at all. I mean, she, got, she, she came from a pretty rough trainer. Spurred her pretty bad, you know. Really? She was an introvert, um, but explosive. So the horse was... Basically, she told me that this horse was dangerous. You know, she bites, she kicks, she bucks. She's reactive. She's horses bite. Oh yeah, that makes them that much scarier. Yeah, you put a saddle on her back, she immediately would reach around to bite you. Like your leg? Yeah, anything she could get to. Oh jeez. Yeah, and so she was, um, and she still was hard. You know, and honestly, I would say she was probably hard for me because I was a little bit like her. Mm. And um, yeah, she was like, just it was hard for her to forgive. And I found a lot of times, because I was a little bit more advanced by the time I got her, and I was doing a lot of reading and trying to understand her, but there was a lot of like asking her 
to forgive me for what other people did. And, um, yeah. and then also I feel, how, like, I feel like we do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much every day in our relationships. Yeah. It's, it's true for sure. We do. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's another thing that I look back and I work with people and I'm just like, okay, yep, I can, my mind is constantly going to, oh, that horse taught me that, which I'm applying to this relationship. Very interesting. Yeah. But, um, yeah, horses that are very forgiving are great. You can just get on them, make a mistake. They're like, whatever. You probably didn't mean, mean that. But then you get really sensitive ones that, um, you hurt them once and they're like, oh, I'm never going to let you hurt me again. And then you get all Sounds familiar. I know. Right. So, um, so it's interesting too. A good point is the person riding the horse, the horse will very often reflect that person, especially a sensitive horse. Hmm. They'll reflect the energy of that tensions of that person. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, I have seen so many times at clinics, really good clinicians that go deep into the psychology of the horse and why they're doing the things they're doing and, and the people end up bawling. Jeez. I mean, just breaking down because the things they're describing about the horse is them hmm. and all of the things that they're holding in and all so of the hurts projecting. that they have and they're projecting onto that horse and the horse is becoming like them or mirroring who they are and then you you know if you, some of these people you know and you uh, follow them over time and you watch them heal and you watch them change and you watch this horse heal and change in accordance to how they're changing. Mm. And it's just like, that's that for me is the addiction. Mm. That's like, these horses are they're therapists, mm. you know, the horse therapist, the horse therapist. Yeah. When it's the horse, that's actually the therapist. <laughs> right. Right. So um, what else do I have here? Uh, let's see. The body always follows the mind. So uh, people always want to change the horse's body. They say, my horse is rearing. That's a body problem. No, it's a mind problem. Hmm. We've got to, you know, break it down. And so um, whether it's the horse is rearing to escape something, they're rearing from pain, there's all sorts of reasons. But you got to get to the mind if you're going to have the horse do things. You can muscle a horse into doing something, of course. You mean like when somebody has an alcohol problem and you try to fix the alcohol problem, the problem shows up in something else? Yes. Because it's not an alcohol problem? Precisely. Yes. The alcohol is a solution to a problem. Yep. And so you fix the alcohol and it just shows up as something else. fitness. Yeah. Or religion or something. Yeah. That's exactly it. You got to fix the mind. You got to mm-hmm. find the root problem. You got to find the root of the problem. And that's like, it's just the work that I guess the self-work that's happened to me through the horses is, is that's the reason I keep doing horses. I, I had a rough bit trying to, you know, do training as an income and then it became a job and I kind of lost why I was doing it and I became exhausted and worn out and burnt out. And now I'm going back into it with, with the income I have from the grooming shop. I don't have to worry about, you know, paying for my horses anymore. You know, that's taken care of. Now I want to go back because I want to see people heal and doing it through horses is the only way I know how. So that's my passion. Because I know they have like these equestrian therapy um, facilities mm-hmm. even where people go in with, um, and I don't know if it's, I don't, I, I'm not sure how those work. I'm sure you probably know a heck of a lot more than I do. But I remember when I was a kid, um, I went, and I think it was during the season where my parents were divorcing, mm-hmm. and I remember riding a horse. And I don't remember much else, but I remember being there and I remember it being an equestrian therapy facility. Mm-hmm. So how, how do those work? I mean, 
I've been involved actually with a couple of those. So one I did volunteer at for a while, and then um, another one I've done a couple of uh, clinics and demonstrations there. And I can imagine the horses. I mean, they have to be so forgiving. They are and, usually very forgiving. Yes. And yes. So like I, the horses almost have to be compassionate. Yes. There's and see that's a different way of learning. Um, so I learned through a lot of hardship, I suppose, in working with difficult horses. But I, again, I think my problems were a little bit different. If you're if you're healing from inner hurt, and that sort of thing, um, I think having a gentle giant like that to lean on, and uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure out the mystery of it. But there is so much healing in horses. Hmm. I haven't quite gotten it all figured out. So but you think everyone, I, everyone should get a horse? I think everyone should get a horse with, with a trainer. With a coach. Yeah, with a coach. Have somebody uh, there to kind of guide you a little bit. But then also just I, I spend hours and hours just brushing a horse can be so good hmm. for your heart. You know, just sitting on a horse and walking around can be so, so good for your heart. Well, you say that. It's so interesting to me because so I went with you. It was the first time I got to I was introduced to your um, to your horses and I'm at Orbit mm-hmm. and I got to hang out with Orbit for a little bit while you were yes, the other Orby. one. Yes, um, And I, and it was funny because I kind of just went in there and just, just stood by him for a little while and I didn't really do much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were like, he likes when the little crest above his chest is scratched. Yes. And I was like, got it. And so like, I just put that little nugget in my, in my brain and, and I was just chilling there with him. And, uh, and he was just kind of sitting next to me and then he kind of takes his head and his nose and he's like smelling me and kind of like, he kind of like nudged my shoulder a little bit. Just, I think he was just checking me out. Mm -hmm. It was like figuring out who I was. I was a new person. Um, and so I, I made sure he could see me and I reached over and I just touched his shoulder and just kind of rubbed a little bit. Um, let him know I was there. And then I scratched that little spot, like worked over and scratched uh, the crest on his chest and, and I was just scratch and scratch it and you could just see his whole demeanor change. And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's the spot. And, and then I, and then I was able, like he kind of positioned himself differently. So then I turned to him and we were facing each other and he put his head over my shoulder. So like his, his neck was directly above me yeah. and he was just, I mean, in a sense exposing himself, but he was, it was like the full trust. And he yeah. was like this, was the full connection. Yeah. And then he was like, he, he loved it so much, he placed his head on my shoulder and then drove me into the ground <laughs> because he doesn't realize how big he is. Yeah. And it, that was like him giving me a hug. Yep. But it was the full weight of the neck and the horse was on. I was like, oh, uh, good God. It's like 600 a, pounds on me. A full force orbit hug. That is him, 100%. It was, it was so, uh, it was, it was like, Okay, I want a horse right now. Yeah. I want this horse right now. Yeah. I forever want horses. Yes. And I'm like, I've never even experienced a, a horse or a connection with a horse. Yeah. But there was something so unique there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like another animal that I've had. Yeah. No, I, I will say Orbit and Vega, the two horses I have now, they've been raised from babies and really only been handled by me. So I've been able to really keep their life very positive all the way through uh, and uh, basically they have no reservations so they don't really have super negative experiences from they don't have any damage hmm. you know and so they're so used to connecting because everything I do is connecting work they're so used to it like he looked at you for a few minutes and be like oh you know huh, let me communicate with you 
the way I expected you to read me. Yeah. And you did. And you he goes, oh, I like this scratchy spot. And, oh, I, I mean, I can scratch that scratchy spot. And instant, he's like, you're my best friend forever. <laughs> you know? I mean, I say my horses are more dogs than they are people because I've I've taught them to be open and, uh, and, and that their opinion matters, you know? And... And they can make friends. They just have to be careful because they're big. <laughs> so, How do you think this is going to translate to you having kids if you decide to? There's no way to say. I don't know until I have kids. I think it would be good. I think I would want to. Can you see you uh, taking like a little crack whip and going back, back, back oh <laughs> to your kids? <laughs> you know, I'm really into teaching. I'd, I really want to teach my kids sign language at an early, early age. Hmm. I, communication is so important. So my horse is it's so specific. I can ask any part of their body to move at any point, you know, uh, and how fast and how far I have cues for all of that. Um, I have, I have cues that they're getting, I'm teaching something new that they're getting farther away from the right answer. And I have cues that they're getting closer to the right answer. So it, it's such a, a, a good, strong communication that we have. Uh, there's really not a lot of frustration. And if there is, I back down and try to research and find better ways to explain that thing I'm trying to get them to do. So I hope that translates into kids where, you know, if they don't understand, I'm going to find a way to translate even more, you know, and especially being an artist, like I I have ideas, I have all these ideas, I want them to to draw what they want, you know, if they can't speak it yet, or when they're super young, do sign language, really want to be able to. So not just like louder. Right. And then you're not just going to yell the thing louder at your kids until they get it. Exactly. Absolutely not. No, I think, I mean, or just do it because I say to do it. Oh, see, like, no, I don't want that to ever happen. And I'm so afraid because I have that in me to be a little bossy. And I'm so afraid that that's going to come out. But I don't think so. I think over all this time, I've I've learned such a better way that I think I'm going to really put a lot of passion to trying to keep that communication open and never go into that yelling, arguing that and, and really what yelling arguing is rooted from is a lack of control and a lot of times lack of control comes from a lack of communication so if I can stay at the root of where all these issues tend to arise and keep that healthy I think that the relationship with my children in general will be very healthy and I ho- would hope so you know this podcast is called Mark Explains the universe but I feel like this has been a Jen Marie experience <laughs> I explain the, the child entire the entire I've world of the equestrian life it's so it can get heavy wildly unique yeah. and it's so much more than just an animal mm-hmm. it's so vast and much more um, I think that's that's a good place to wrap thank you this is yeah. this has been so so interesting but it's just, it's just like, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. Definitely, yeah. Of what it all is. You can do a sequel later if you want. Oh, we're going to do lots more. <laughs> thank you so much for yeah, thank you. telling all the things. You're an amazing human. Uh, you, are, you are too. Actually, cool. I have one question for you, What's and that? I did not prepare you for it. Uh-huh. I never prepare any of my guests for this. Um, but if you could, if this mic was plugged in and turned on, and the entire world could hear what you have to say and you have 30 seconds oh gosh for the entire world to hear what you would have to say what would you say like in this climate today and everything that's going on in the world of the media and everything that's going on in Afghanistan and Texas and Florida and everything all of the things with all of that current climate that's happening the microphone clicks on, what would you say? 
to say something cliche like get a horse. <laughs> no, they'll teach you everything about life. No, I. I just I feel like um, people do need to learn to see the world through each other's eyes a little bit more. And I think we would love a little better if we did that. So that's what you'd say? That's what comes to mind right now. You just gave me 30 seconds to think <laughs> about this. It is not a light question and everyone always, always throws them off, but it, it's always important because I like the authenticity behind finding, searching for that answer. I think I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and come up with a better answer. You're going to you're gonna text me tomorrow and be, I like, am. be like, this is what I wish I would have said. Right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for yeah, coming on. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. It was very cool.